Before we start today's show, we'd like to say that this podcast series is coming up to 250 episodes. So thanks for listening. Our listeners are the reason that we can keep doing the show. And to celebrate 250 episodes, we're going to do a Q&A episode. So if you want to ask a question for me to answer on that show, please email us on lifeandcrimesatnews.com.au. That address again, lifeandcrimesatnews.com.au. We'll see how we go. Working on the basis that it was better to be tried by 12 of your peers than carried by six pallbearers. They knew they were dealing with somebody that had proven that he shot first naturally. Police became extremely trigger happy, very jumpy, very paranoid, because for all anyone knew, the next car you pulled over could have someone in it who would shoot them. I'm Andrew Rule, this is Life and Crimes. It's remarkable that in 250 episodes, we've never yet got around to talking about the guy that we dubbed Mad Max. This is one of those names that the media, crime reporters particularly, give crooks catchy names because they're short and sharp and look good in a headline. And they particularly, we particularly like them when they've got a long, complicated name that is hard to fit across a newspaper page. Mad Max was actually a Bulgarian army deserter called Pavel Marinov. Pavel Marinov came to this country back in the 60s. He was, I think, a factory worker, sort of worked with his hands. But he was also that very dangerous creature, like Bandali Debs later, he was by day a hard-working suburban husband and father who didn't stand out from any of the other people like himself, but privately he was a gun nut and he built underneath his house down in the southeastern suburbs basically a pistol range under his house. He collected pistols or got hold of pistols and he taught himself to be an extremely good pistol shot and it's widely held by police and crooks and various people who know their way around guns that most crooks are not good shots with pistols because pistols are inherently inaccurate unless they're handled by experts who get a lot of practice. Mad Max, Pavel Marinov, gave himself the luxury of practice. He also used to go out and do bad things. Working solo, he would rob factories and things at night, break into premises and take money or goods or whatever. Working alone without anybody to dob him in and he wasn't part of the the criminal mainstream, so he wasn't going to be uh, informed on by other crooks the way that most crooks are. He got away with this for a fair while until the night in 1985, I think it was, in the winter when a police officer pulled him over down in Sheltenham, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. And Pavel Marinov, instead of just quietly um, giving himself up and answering the questions, he pulled a pistol and he shot a policeman called Sergeant Brian Stook. 
Stuke and his partner, Peter Steele, had been patrolling the area late at night. When they pulled up, the guy we called Mad Max, because he did have the alias Max Clark. Max pulled a pistol, shot both of them, but it was Stuke who was the most seriously wounded. His partner, Steele, was wounded, but was still fit enough to be able to call for help, call for an ambulance and so on. It turned out that Stuke and his partner, Steele, were two of seven police who were shot by Mad Max in a crime spree that actually changed the face of policing in this state. Because before Mad Max turned up and started shooting police when he was pulled over, basically crooks hadn't been very keen to shoot at police. If they were armed at all, they tended to shoot each other, but they didn't fancy their chances of shooting police and living to tell the tale. They knew that in court the book would be thrown at them and that's if they got to court, so they didn't do it. Mad Max changed that single-handedly and because of the shootings that he committed on police over a very brief period in 85, the police force changed their attitude to pulling people over naturally Police became extremely trigger-happy, very jumpy, very paranoid, because for all anyone knew, the next car you pulled over could have someone in it who would shoot them. And this meant that the police went out on the offensive, guns drawn, and they actually started to shoot crooks. And this, over time, became a wave of police shootings, which had many repercussions. But what happened to Mad Max? Well, what happened was he became a man on the run. He had enough connections around the place, people he'd worked with or known, that he sought shelter at the township of Wallen. Uh, Wallen is north of Melbourne. It's up past Craigieburn, about 15 or 20 minutes, just short of Kilmore. Back in that era, in the 80s, when I lived up that way, it was still a sort of a satellite town on the outer edge. It had one pub, you know, a couple of shops, a few hundred houses. And there was a few interesting characters living there. And among them, they say, were the sort of people who knocked around with bikey gangs. And I think that Mad Max sought refuge with one of those people, I think with a bikey and his family. The police were desperate to find him. They threw their best and toughest detectives at the task. And in February 1986, two of these police were pretty sure that a guy driving a white panel van and living at a particular house in Wallen was Mad Max. They weren't dead sure, but they were pretty sure. These two detectives, armed robbery, major crime those sort of heavyweight guys that were used to catching heavyweight crooks, they went loaded for bear, as they say. They had pump-action shotguns. They had taken out the cartridges that they were issued and they loaded with SGs. Now, SG shotgun shells are loaded with nine large slugs in each shell. 
And those slugs are the size of a 22 bullet, each one of them. And if you are hit with a blast from an SG shotgun shell, it's buckshot. It's basically designed to knock over a very large animal like a wild boar or a wild bull or, as they say, buck, a buck being a, a buck deer. And the police had loaded with this stuff because they knew they were dealing with somebody that had proven that he shot first, he shot accurately, and he was very cool and calm in the way he did it, which made him an extremely dangerous opponent. And we'll be back after this. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. On this day, the police were sitting off this house at Wallen. They saw this short, balding guy hop in the white panel van with one or two of the kids from the house and he dropped them off at school. This guy was dropping these kids off at the local school at Wallen. And I thought, oh, well, that's good. And now he's driving down the road. Well, that's even better because when we pull him up, we don't want him in the town around townspeople because he could shoot innocent people. The, the ricochets or the crossfire could be dangerous. We'll pull him up down the highway. Now, the panel van headed south out of Wallen towards Melbourne down it dropped off the Northern Highway onto the Hume Freeway and they sort of overtook him just at a place called Calcallo, which is near Beveridge, and they pulled him over and they approached very gingerly and carefully, both cradling shotguns. And they said to the driver, keep your hands where we can see them and show us your licence or whatever. This guy... He had a street directory, a Melway street directory, I think, and he managed to swivel his pistol around underneath the cover of the street directory. He might have been pretending to get his licence or his papers out of the directory or something like that, but he was able to hide one of his hands under the directory and then he shot both these policemen with a pistol through the window of his car, which shows you how good he was at doing, he was a snap shooter, he was a sharp shooter, he was unbelievably cool, and he managed to hit both these police with a pistol. And then he floored the car and drove away from them down the highway towards Melbourne. Now, both these guys are hit, but they let fire with their shotguns, one or both of them, through the back window of the panel van, which is speeding away. Because they've loaded with SG shot and not the standard lighter shot, the SG slugs, being big and heavy, not only break through the back window of the car, they go straight through the thin padding of the seat of the panel van and they hit the driver. Whether it's Mad Max or not, it hits the driver. The panel van runs off the road. It runs off the freeway out into a paddock, a paddock full of thistles, uh, just south of Beveridge, I remember it well, and the police are not certain what's happened. They're not sure if the guy is not wounded and lying there waiting for them to approach so that he can shoot them dead. 
they call in reinforcements. They call up the police chopper. They, they've got coppers coming from everywhere and they circle the thing and watch it for you know a long time. I don't know if it was an hour or what, but a fair while until finally they're able to, uh, I think, get a long lens onto it and have a look and they realised that the man who turned out to be Mad Max, the shooter, had bled out and died in the front seat of the panel van and that, in fact, the shots that they'd fired through the back of the panel van had mortally wounded him and that he'd driven off the road because he was dying and he died fairly quickly at the wheel of the car in that paddock at Beveridge. And that was the end of the reign of terror of the man we call Mad Max. As we alluded to before, the upshot of that was that the police were far more jittery about pulling over motorists, about pulling over burglars, about pulling over people in the street, because that trust that they'd had for, you know, 100 years that basically the uniform would protect you, that you wouldn't be shot if you were a serving policeman because the normal brand of citizen, the normal brand of crook wouldn't do it. They'd lost that faith in the power of the uniform to protect them. And it was then that Victorian police started on a shooting spree, working on the basis that it was better to be tried by 12 of your peers than carried by six pallbearers, that they shot quite a lot of people over a few years and it's probably fair to say that not all of them should have been shot. I can recall one of them was a very small, drunken uh, Indigenous woman up at Shepparton. They shot her because she wouldn't put a knife down or whatever. There were shootings that didn't really quite pass the sniff test, which of course is easy for me to say sitting in a safe studio. It's probably a bit different if you're out there facing people that you think might kill you. But ultimately the Mad Max effect wore off because the senior police and politicians and the public saw that it had gone too far and they introduced a thing called Operation Beacon to persuade police that it was better ultimately to encircle and contain a dangerous person and then disarm them slowly through negotiation rather than just shooting them dead. And so ultimately it all changed again, probably for the better. And we'll be back after this to finish our story. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. And that is a short version of the story of Pavel Marinov, the Bulgarian army deserter who terrorised the Victoria Police for many months until two brave men shot him dead. 
Thanks for listening. Life and Crimes is a Sunday Herald Sun production for True Crime Australia. Our producer is John Burton. If you like the show, leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to know more about these stories, links are in the description of this episode.